dependent on Jesus. Some people don't like that. Some Christians don't like that. But we know that Jesus said, these fine people showing us a picture of what it means to put on the armor of God. The helmet of salvation that you and I would think as saved people. The belt of truth, right? That like holds it all together. Breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. Having your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That we would have God's word as our sword. Not to whip people, but to defend. Like, listen, there's so much that I want to tell you more about. And so keep coming. Keep part of this. But if Jesus said is how we live, then what he says goes. And in John 17, 13, he said something very significant. And if you don't know what that is, and we're going to look some more about it in the summer, but it comes from what's called the high priestly prayer on the night when Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and ultimately crucified. He prayed. He prayed a bunch that night. And in one particular chapter in John 17, he prayed a ton. But in John 17, 13, he said, but now I'm coming to you. And he's talking to his father. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves and we talked about that the source of this joy is Jesus and he wants it to be fulfilled in us and so he, he's the source right he's the one the joy of the Lord is our strength it says in Nehemiah like Jesus is the joy of the Lord and he's the Lord all at the same time mind blown right and he has these guys go out I, I don't know, maybe there was ladies with them. I know this much. 70 people, 72 people went out. And they came back because they were in his strength and they were doing all these amazing things. And guess what? They were like, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he's like, yeah. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he's giving them a warning and he's acknowledging and he's witnessing that they had power. And he says this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Like he's, let's prioritize joy. Let's put it together the way it should be. It's not just that you can do all these amazing things as cool as they are. The big thing, the big joy is the source of joy that cannot be removed from you. And that's the Lord. You're in his hand and nobody can take you out. This is great. And if you're catching me get excited, wait for the end. <laughs> Last week, we looked at the fact that there's a cost of joy. You can't buy it, but you have to be ready to receive it. And so what's the cost? You just got to give up. Give up everything. Let him be the joy. Nobody can take that joy from you. And so the source is Jesus. And the cost, he paid the ultimate price, but we have to have empty hands so we can receive. And so I don't know if you saw this, and I don't have a, a video clip of it, but you have access to the internet. Go check it out. I'm going to read something for you. But the Oklahoma Sooners, not, like, I'm not endeared to Oklahoma. I, the coolest lightning storm I ever saw in my whole life was in Oklahoma. That's like the joy of Oklahoma for me was that. Until this, the Oklahoma Sooners women's softball team. They won their third national championship in a row. We have a granddaughter and, for me, a niece 
that is a softball star. She's amazing. She's going to Western Washington on a scholarship. Really excited for her. So softball is kind of a big deal. I'm a baseball guy. These girls, three of them, are up on the stage after they won their third national championship in a row. They went 51 or 61 and one this whole year. They lost one game. The absolute diamond of that whole team is a super senior. She got an extra year, actually two, because of COVID. She's played for six seasons. She's won three national championships, player of the year before. She was doing super well in February, like hitting over 500, and then she's down to 330. That means a little less than four times out of 10, she got hits. And she was asked by a guy from ESPN, and he asked the, the players there, Hey, you talk about the joy of the game. It's tough to keep that joy going. How do you guys keep that joy going? And she says, the only way you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord Jesus. Any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. As our coach has said, Joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you motivated and moving forward, no matter what the outcome. And then the girls next to her is like, not just, amen. They went for it. You guys, they preached my message for me. <laughs> Joy and happiness are different. Happiness is cool and gladness and all that. But this is gladness of heart, joy that cannot be taken from us because of the source and because of the cost. We've already given up. We don't have to give up our joy, and nobody can steal it from us. So today, though, we're like, look, if there's this source of joy is Jesus, and the cost of joy is that we would empty our hands and realize what he bought for us and gave us life through his death and resurrection, then we should express it. Why would you keep it to yourself? And it can be kind of hard. But as C.S. Lewis said in his book, Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Will you turn with me to Luke 15? And as we're thinking about this serious business, he says in this interview and in this book that there's so many people that enjoy dancing and frivolity and all this fun, but you can't go on with that all day long for the rest of your life because that's a problem here. He says, not in heaven. That's what heaven's about. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And so in Luke 15, Jesus is surrounded by a bunch of religious people and a bunch of people that are learning how to love him and follow him and understand him. And these religious people are getting fed up with something. Let's look at what it is. It's Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the lawyers that understood the Bible inside and out. They understood the law. They grumble. Can you guys just with me just really quick, just for kind of a, a, a scene? 
Will you just kind of murmur a little bit? Murmur, 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 murmur. That was them grumbling. They're like, gosh, look at this guy. And this is what they said. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Straight up scandal. Oh my goodness. But as my wife Kathy has pointed out, who else could he have eaten with? That's all we got, right? Apart from Jesus, we're all there. And these religious leaders are like, this is terrible. Scandal. He should be hanging out with the mucky mutts. He should be quoting the Bible. He should be at church. But he's hanging out with these sinners, and he's eating with them. So he told them this parable. Who did he tell the parable to? Yeah, I mean, anybody would listen, right? But he's talking straight to these religious folk. <gasps> we don't do it like that, Jesus. So he told them this parable. By the way, I'm about to read to you three parables. The Bible says it's one. I think it's the same parable three different ways. So come on board. Here we go. What man of you, Jesus says, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country? Really quick teaching on that. He wouldn't just leave them there to die. They would be in a pen, and somebody else would probably be there. But he's got 99 that are safe. He's going for the one. How many of you that have 100 and have one that's lost wouldn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one he's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, whoo, rejoicing. Joyfully, it says in the CSB. The NIV says, with joy. He puts this thing on his shoulders, and he's like, let's go, baby. And they rejoice. And now when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. You want to know how to double your joy, church? Share it. Share it. Share it with people. And what's the joy here? Well, that the lost was found. But he's telling the parable, so here comes Jesus, the best teacher ever, to bring it home for us. Just so. So exactly like this, I tell you there will be more joy. Two words, friends, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, turns back to God, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Who's he telling the story to again? Yeah, and anybody who would listen, right? But the Pharisees are there. They're like, ooh, how could you be with sinners? And he's like, that's what I came for. If you don't think you need me, then I guess I'm not for you. So he tells another one. What woman having 10 silver coins, this would have been like her wedding ring. This is a really cool thing, but I don't have a lot of time to talk about it. But women would have 10 coins as this wedding memento. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. Hey, one more time. How do we double our joy? We share it with people. Don't keep it to yourself. Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Can you imagine you're just being so distraught? 
I mean, sweeping a dirt floor, that's got to be a mess. But she's going for it, and she's turning over everything. You ever lost your keys? Some of you are like, no, God created a place for it. You put your keys there, and they never go anywhere else. Well, God bless you, and you're weird. Okay. <laughs> and really cool. Good job. And you're not married to me. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. Okay, anyways, the same thing. So, but she found it. And you know what it's like when you find something that you're looking for. Really quick, just kind of like how my brain works. Some, one time, I had my phone like this. I don't know if you could see it. And I was looking on the floor. Do you know what I was looking for? Phone. My phone. <laughs> I don't just need Jesus because I'm a sinner. I'm a wreck. <laughs> but rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. I had lost. I misplaced it. Like the first thing went away on its own. This thing was misplaced by the lady. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus, again, is bringing it home. Oh, you look for stuff that's lost. You go after the sheep. A couple of things really quick on this. I love this so much. You've got something, and it, I wrote it down so I'd remember. you got something that was out of place, and you got something that was out of service. Okay. The out-of-service was the sheep. I mean, they do work. Give you milk and wool and eventually food. And it was out of service. And the shepherd went and found it to put it back into service. That's Jesus giving us treasure. And then there was one that was out of place. It was lost. It it. God doesn't lose us. This woman lost us, and she's like, oh, I need to find it. And she found it out of place. She put it back in place to look at and to remember. But God doesn't put you and I back into place just to look at and to remember, but to be in fellowship. In John 17, he says that you and I can have eternal life, and this is what eternal life is, to know God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, to be in relationship, to be in fellowship. Relationship so important, so valuable. Do not keep this to yourself. You might notice, as Warren Wiersbe said in these two stories that we've read just now, lost, found, and rejoiced. Let's repeat. Lost, found, and rejoiced. Thomas H. Huxley, who is not necessarily known for being a Christian. As a matter of fact, he's known for being Darwin's bulldog. He was all about evolution. But he said this, and I think it's really profound as we get into the next story Jesus tells. A man's worst difficulties begin when he's able to do just as he likes. I want to do what I want to do. You do you, I'll do me. I want to have fun. This is what the world calls joy. It's happiness and it's fleeting. Like those amazing young women told us from the Oklahoma Sooners softball team. By the way, that young lady, Grace Lyons, got a chance to write a letter to softball. And she read it in front of everybody on ESPN. 
She had two plus minutes to thank softball. And she said, softball, I used to think you were it. I threw baseballs when the girls weren't able to play. I played with tennis balls when nobody was around. And I got ready, and I got ready, and I got ready. And I realized I gave you too much credit. The only joy, the only life, the only hope is Jesus. She just went off for two minutes giving the gospel. And the weather. So good. She got everything she wanted, and this young lady that was next to her said, look, we won our first national championship. And I was like, what now? That's when she came to Christ was after she got everything she wanted and felt like, I don't have anything. I need something that lasts to be fulfilled. And so with that, we'll read a story very familiar to you. It's Luke 15, 11 through 24. We've called it the parable of the prodigal son, prodigal being reckless and spendthrift. You'll note right in the very beginning, Jesus says there's two sons, but I think this story is more than just about the sons. It's about the crazy love of the father. Some would even say reckless. I don't like that word for Jesus' love. I love that his love was like whether you receive it or not, and he threw it out there. So in that way, it seems kind of risky. And yet he loves everybody, and his love is the only love that transforms, and he's the source of joy, the cost of joy, and leads us to say, I got empty hands. Come on now and bring it. So here we go. Luke 15, 11, and we'll stop at 24 for a second. And Jesus said, this is the third parable in this one parable. Who is he talking to again? Pharisees and anybody who will listen, right? Now, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Man, give me my inheritance before you die. Not entirely unheard of, but a complete disrespect to his dad. Hey, dad, you're better off than me dead because then I could have some stuff. But can I have my stuff before you die because I don't want to wait? And so his dad surprisingly divided the property between the older brother, who would have got two-thirds of everything, and the younger brother, who got a third. He sold all of it. He gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. One of the worst difficulties in our lives begin when we get what we want and do just as we want. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into this, his fields to feed pigs. Pigs to a Jew, an observant Jew, are nasty. They're unclean. They wouldn't go feed them. They certainly wouldn't eat them. This guy's trying to figure out his life. He's trying to fix it because he screwed it up. And he goes out on his own to try to fix it, and he ends up feeding pigs. That's the only job he could get. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. But no one gave him anything. He had to get a job to have money. He's waiting to get paid, and he's starving, and he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. It's a tough gig. But when he came to himself, other translations say, came to his senses. Remember, he tried to fix everything. 
couldn't. His life's fallen apart, and now his eyes are opened. Beloved, some of the best things that can ever happen to us are the worst things that happen to us. Because it opens our eyes. We think we've got it all together. We think everything's going swimmingly, and it's not. And we find that we're face-to-face with the ground yet again, and you either try to cowgirl up or you go, uh, I need help. I am a terrible leader of my life. Some of you are highly successful, and you think, oh, I got this. I'm maybe the 99. I'm not lost. But he came to himself, came to his senses, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. He came to his senses, and he remembered what? Remembered his father. We read not too long ago, Romans 2, 4. Do you not remember that God's kindness leads you to repentance? Do you remember that your daddy loves you and you can come home? And he's like, gosh, I have blown it. I'm starving. My dad's hired people have more than enough food. I'll arise and I'll go to my father and he's practicing his speech. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Confession, I've blown it. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Listen, you guys. He had the speech. He came to his senses. He came to himself. And a lot of people just stop there. Like, gosh, I've blown it. And they don't turn to their father. I'm going to say it like this. You and I, to know the joy of the Lord, have to come to the Lord. The only way we come to the Lord is empty-handed. Like, I don't have anything. I didn't do anything to earn anything. If I got what I deserved, I'd be going to hell. That's not just for all of you sinners. That's for this sinner, too. Guess what? You can't confess that you need the Father and stay where you're at. you got to come to him. Hands up. I give up. I surrender. It's important that you guys recognize that surrendering is not weakness. It's one of the strongest things you can do. So he says, I'll arise, do all that. And then verse 20, he does. He arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Church, daddy was looking. He didn't go out. He's like, you got to figure this out. But when he saw him coming back, he's like, oh, that's my son. He's walking a little bit different. That's my son. And he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and kissed him. Do you know what he was doing for a living just the other day? It's pretty big. He's all stanky and nasty. Dad didn't care. Runs and kisses him. And the son tries to get his composure. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get the rest of the speech out. 
He confesses. He admits. He recognizes. He surrenders. I've blown it. The father says to his servants, he doesn't even acknowledge the speech. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This isn't just like, I can't have a boy of mine looking like this. This is reinstatement. You're part of the fam. Signet ring, you're in. You look like a slave. You look like a mess. We're giving you a nice robe. The best robe would have been one that the daddy would have worn, and he gives him sandals for his feet. You're not a slave anymore. You're a son. He didn't even get the part out where I'm not good enough to be your boy. Because the joy of heaven, the joy that was before Jesus when he was on the cross was salvation. He wanted to reunite us with the Father. That was his joy. He wants that. That's what the party is like. That's what you can hear in that little parable of the coins. There's joy before the angels. Who's before the angels? God, the Lord. Dancing. Rejoicing that sinners come back. Either lost or found that have wandered away. Come on back home. And so he does. And then he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and church celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Oh, my goodness. Hang in there. There's the joy of forgiveness. You want to express joy? Be about the serious business of heaven. The joy of heaven is forgiveness, is right relationship, is acknowledging what Jesus has done, not just in communion or at church, but in your everyday life. You and I can be a part of the joy of forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave us. Express the joy be about that business. Here's the rest of the story. How many sons were there? Let me reintroduce you to the oldest one. We heard about him in the beginning. Here he is now. Now his older son was out in the field. That means he was working. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. I just, every single time I think about this. How do you hear dancing? They were getting after it. What's that? Clogging. <laughs> A little Irish dance. Okay, anyways, they were doing it. Do you remember who this parable was being told to? At the end of this story, he brings it home for the Pharisees and any of us that need to hear it as well. He drew near you. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants to him. He says, uh, what's going on? What do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. It's almost like you want to hear at the end of that, duh, of course. But the old brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He begged him. He came he literally ran to the lost son, but he went out and got 
the found one. Profound. So his father came out and begged him, come on. But he answered his father, look. I'm a dad. I don't know that I like that. (laughs) Tell me, look, I'm your dad. I'll show you a look. (laughs) But he says, look, these many years I've served, in the NIV it says slaved for you. And I've never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate. My friends, it loses a little something in the, you know, the goat. But it's a party. This is like, look, you got the fattened calf. I never even got a goat. And I've always been the good kid. But when this son of yours, won't call him his brother, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, comes back, you kill the fattened calf for him. It's not fair. You feel that? Have you said that? Do you believe that? It's not fair? Christian, it's not fair that you got saved. Somebody else paid your price? Don't forget, you're both the sons in this story. And some of you think, no, no, I'm way more like the dad. (laughs) Maybe now because of Christ, but man, come on. And I love this. The father says, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was fitting. It was right to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He's lost and he's found and the story's over. I want to remind you of something that I read in a book this Monday in a day with God. It's called Confronting Jesus by an amazing evangelist and apologist teacher, Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin. This woman is same-sex attracted and doesn't act on it. She's given her life to Christ and the leadership of Christ. She's married to a man and has three children. And she acknowledges that her attraction still can be to women, and she gives that over to the Lord, recognizing that he didn't make her attracted to women. She acknowledges that sexual sin is a lot of things. The goal, though, isn't heterosexuality for her. The goal is holiness that can only come from the Lord. And she wrote in her book, Confronting Jesus, it's supposed to be the people that don't know the Lord, but I sure got a lot out of it. We're all going to hell unless we hide ourselves in Jesus. But if we do, we're totally forgiven and caught up in his embrace. So we're done this morning with this. How do you move towards Jesus? How do you express joy? We confess that he's God. We believe that he's the Savior. We acknowledge that we need a Savior. We come to him. We believe that he's the Lord and we're not. We believe that we need him. We don't just go, woe is me. I was a sinner lost. No, I'm found. And this is for you that are found. Like, I'm found. He loves me. No matter what's come your way. And there's a lot that's come your way. There's a lot of pain. And there's a lot of agony. And there's a lot of grief. But your joy can't be taken from you. His joy comes in the morning, the psalmist says. 
So for some of you, you need to just submit to Christ right this very second. You haven't done it before. He's not your king. He's not your Lord. But you know that you need something more than what you've got. And not just the outcome, but the joy of the Lord that can't be removed from you no matter what happens around you or even in your body. Jesus said that nastiness comes from inside. So he wants to change our hearts. It comes to repentance. His kindness leads to repentance. I want you. I love you. I forgive you. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Rest for your soul. For many of you that are Christians, joyful obedience is hard to come by. He wants you to joyfully obey him, not, oh, because I have to, I'm a Christian. But because I am found in Jesus. He's embraced me in his love and his righteousness and his goodness and his forgiveness. I want him. I'm going to live for him, even when it feels like I'm pretty lonely. But take a look. There's a lot of people around you that love the Lord. Finally, some of you need to praise God in your difficulties. There's a really cool song out. There's a man named Benjamin William Hastings that wrote it, and he sings a little bit in it. There's a man from Nigeria named Blessing Offer who sings with him, and it makes me cry every time I hear it. A, Blessing's voice is ridiculous. But B, it's because of what he says. Sometimes the only thing to do is just to give it to you. That's why I say hallelujah. It don't always fix your problems, but it'll tell you how small they are. That's the thing about praise. You'll never know what's going to change, but it'll always leave a mark. That's the thing about praise. It won't always move the mountain, but it's good for your heart. And that's the thing about praise. Let's praise the Lord together. Jesus, you are the joy. Deep, deep down in our heart, and we cannot keep it to ourselves, help us to express it. Help us to get it out. Help us to share it. Help us to let people know that though bad, difficult, nasty things happen, we can come to you. And though you may not erase all of those things that are happening to us right here temporarily, but you have set us free for eternity, and that's eternal life is to be in right relationship with you, and that can begin today. And we need to be able to know that forgiveness starts with you you forgive us and we get to forgive others and ourselves and tell others that they can be forgiven lord may we be people that practice praise all the time especially in the difficult times i love you and i praise you and i lift up my family and my friends to you and i pray we would not keep this good news to ourselves it's in your name we pray amen